Yeah, that's got to come with earned credits, though. I'm not going to let some freshman come in and tell me <laughs> he's thinking about everything because they don't know anything. Yeah, Smart. You know, my, daughter, my daughter's entering her freshman year in college soon, and she doesn't know anything about <laughs> that that type of stuff. You know, like, I mean, she, I'm not saying she, she doesn't know what she doesn't know, right? So she got to listen to somebody that's older, right? So um, I, I really feel like um, the give and take is real is, is earned on both sides. You know, they have to trust you. You have to trust them. And it's developed over time. And I think you get a better response from them. Hello. Welcome to the Sports Extra podcast. It is officially playoff season and we have so many different things to get to. Are the Sixers done? Kind of feels like it. Kind of a terrible effort in their first two games. Also, the Hershey Bears could be out in two games as well as they play best of three of the Wilkes-Barre Penguins. We will talk about that. We will talk about Penn State football and how they did in the 2022 NFL draft. And spoiler alert, they did great. We're going to be joined here by producer Shiner in the back and a lovely special guest from producer Steve. Hello. How is it going? It's going good. It's good to uh, finally be in the limelight, you know? Yeah, I see the squinting. You're not used to these bright lights, no, you know? No. Lights, lights, yeah, yeah. lights. Flashing lights. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Thanks Flash. for having me on this side. Yeah, every once in a while we let Steve out from behind the corner and, and he gets to share his opinions with the world in a more free form. So that's gonna, what today is going to be all about. We are also going to be joined by one of my favorite college coaches, someone who doesn't always get the limelight himself, Coach Chaos. Sean Spencer, he is the current defensive coordinator at Florida for the Florida Gators. I know a lot of people love that program, but we know him better as a six-year assistant with the Nittany Lions, uh, with James Franklin. He knows a lot about this program. He knows a lot about what to expect from some of those Penn State players who are going in that NFL draft and who are going to make their start in the league. But he also just has a lot of cool perspective on what college football looks like and how fast it's changing because – as we looked it up, I think he's coached in like 15, 16 different places. So we will get to that. But first, I feel like everyone in this room needs to get something off their chest. Oh, we do? What the heck is wrong with the Sixers? Uh, it, two words. Joel Embiid not right. playing. That's, okay, more, that's than words, yeah, more than two. Yeah, more than two. I think it's fairly obvious what the Sixers problem is right now. You don't have your best player on the on the court. I mean, it's pretty cut and dry. That's fair, but there are also obviously Joel Embiid out for the first two games against Miami with a fractured orbital and mild concussion. They're hoping, I think the the rumor still is, he'll be back for game three or Allegedly. four, yeah. uh, but didn't travel with the team to Miami. Obviously, you know, anytime Embiid's hurt, that this is a completely different Sixers team. However, weren't you supposed to have addressed that by bringing in James Harden, and where the heck is he? That That's the, the root of the issue here, is you're supposed to be able to survive with another level of talent added to the team like James Harden. However, I just think so much goes through Embiid with this team that you, you just you, you don't have your full staff. You're not going to win the games the way you think you would. And Bam is just going off without that presence at center to defend him. It was interesting. They said headed into game two, like we have to have a presence in the paint. <laughs> it's like they said all the right things no. and did absolutely nothing when it came to it. So, um, I, I mean, where do they go from here, though? I mean, if you get swept by the heat, are we blowing up the team? Like, Steve, where, where are you thinking? I don't think you blow up the whole team, obviously, but I, it definitely times like these, like games like this last game, definitely make you wonder about that, you know, James Harden trade. Obviously, we won the trade with – 
you know, get offloading yeah, Ben I mean, Simmons. And, Ben's and, not even playing. Correct. So you win the trade. But, but you know, what, what happened to James Harden? At, like, See, you know, it's still putting up, like, 20 and 10. Like, I get it. It's good. But, like, with Joel Embiid out, you would think that he would be able to be like, okay, I'm back to being that dog, just going iso ball and taking it to people. But you maybe – Maybe the extra pounds were real, and maybe when he lost him, he lost some of that secret sauce. Mm. I don't know. You have to have another level. If you're that level of superstar, you have to be able to score 40 in a playoff game. Yeah, yeah, right? you're hoping. But I think this actually comes down to not even the players on the, on the court. This is a Doc Rivers issue. And I know that Steve and I have had these conversations off camera many a time with some of our other colleagues. And... But we all know Doc loves to ride with his veterans. I mean, that's kind of that goes back to the Celtics days and and just how he always prefers some people with experience on the court in mm. those tough times. But in a situation like this where you do not have Embiid, this is the time when you need to try something new. And Doc's still doing this. It's not even a two-man game anymore. It's a one-man game with Harden. And if Harden can't do a step back three. He literally walks to the rim and gets fouled, and everybody else is kind of standing around. Now, in game one, obviously, Tobias Harris was that fuel. He played excellent. It was just everybody else couldn't hit shots in that last half of the fourth. you know. And this is where you pay coaches with experience at an elite level for these types of situations when you don't have your full complement, and it's up to you to make the adjustments. And he just hasn't. And that's been evident all year long. Well, I think it's been evident with this team in general. Like, I mean, they've disappeared at times, and you're like, "This is how is this the team that at one point was favored to go to the Eastern Conference Finals, and now it's like you can't even win a game? Like, you bring in a guy like James Harden, you offload Ben Simmons, who wasn't playing for you anyways, and in some levels, maybe you got worse. I mean, you give up Seth Curry, or yeah, Seth Curry. Like, I mean, it's just it, you lose all your shooting, you lose all of your inside presence, you lose defense, you lost everything. You got James Harden in theory, you won the trade, and yet it almost feels like this team is way less loaded than they were even when Ben Simmons was sitting on the bench and causing all the issues that he's causing. And since we are talking about him, it looks like he's going to undergo back surgery. So clearly, it's it's maybe it's not all mental anymore. It really is about the back, but. Um, I, I think it is. It's it's hard to look at the trade and think, like, did we actually lose given that you have a player on the court, but the team's taking a step back? Yeah, and, and just looking at the stats, actually, which it's kind of interesting. I, I just looked through it, and I didn't realize Matisse Thibault, 20, 21 minutes, two rebounds. He, he's it. actually, I think uh, – I mean, Maybe a steal or something. I think he's taken two more shots than COVID shots get – gotten if that's an actual uh, stat oh yeah but no like, i see I mean, what you're saying i think yeah. it was one more but yeah, yeah. but i mean it, this also comes down and, and kind of piggybacking off of the doc rivers thing i think the one part of the trade we did lose is uh deandre jordan versus mm. andre drummond there's a yeah. big drop off between where i think everybody thought oh it's the it's the lob game you know jordan's gonna go off on it and, and no i i think uh, Drummond was really underappreciated in his role when Embiid is off the court and how he was able to actually get in the stat column and, and keep the game afloat at times. And that's where you, especially losing a shooter in Curry, and uh, obviously Millsap hasn't really done anything <laughs> since coming True. to the Sixers, period. True. When I think you were relying on that, and yet again, Doc loves to roll with his vets and thinks that, hey, we're on the Clippers, and... 
2015. No, this isn't the 2015 Clippers. You know, this is the 2022 Sixers, and we have a big problem on our hands. Yeah, and maybe that is a question that we have to start asking, right? It's like the Doc Rivers effect. And, of course, I was a Celtics fan when he won us a title. So um, I think I always have a soft spot in my heart for him. But you look at him. And it's and earned, too. For that, for mm -hmm. sure. But when you look at him in closeout games and closeout situations, and, you know, he's winning one, I think it's like one-fourth of those games that he plays, like that's a problem when you think about how they just kind of gave up that series in the first round and obviously they come out and give themselves a win after the third try third time's the charm however it's like at what point do we start pinning this on the coaches on, on an over reliance on Joel Embiid as an organization like this is someone who's never been all that healthy um, he always misses a good stretch of games for every single season so at what point do we look at it and say maybe he's a great piece but you can't rely on him after 80 games to be the only scorer you have because I mean he was gonna play through the, the torn ligament in his thumb that's great. He's going to gut it out. I'm sure there was a lot of pain there every time you grab a ball, but then he gets elbowed in the face. You can't, I mean, you can control that if you don't have him up down uh, up 29 with four minutes to go. However, I don't like, like that argument though. I, I still think he needed to assert dominance on the series at that point, but that's, that's for another that's discussion. A whole, yeah. No, but I, but I do think about, you know, there's, there's some mentality where it's like some of these freak injuries that, that happen with Joel Embiid just because he plays so hard, you can't avoid and you don't want him to start playing soft because of that. But you also he also can't be your whole team. And so at what point does James Harden say, all right, I'm going to take this thing over the way he always was supposed to, the way he, maybe he was known for in the past. But, I mean, our, our good friend Logan Reaver has always said James Harden is a losing player. So uh, I think you have to think about that too. Like it, maybe he just disappears in these moments as well. And a team that wants to contend for a championship needs way less disappearing acts. Well, and, and it's funny that you bring that up saying that James Harden's a losing player because my um, opinion on Doc Rivers really came, came into light, um, you know, a, a, a coming of age type of moment when um, I was actually in here working and, um, uh, Logan, he had that soundbite yep. where Doc was basically going through all his teams that, you know, blew 2-1 or 3-1, whatever, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, for about a minute straight, it was just him saying, like, listen, we lost because my players stunk. And uh, <laughs> we lost because, uh, you know, this and that and that. And then at the end, he's like, I always uh, take accountability for everything. Oh. It, it, it was <laughs> it was horrible. As yeah. a coach, it's like that's yeah. a terrible look. And and it seems like now without um, without Embiid, it seems like we've paired, you know, a losing player with a losing coach. And mm. I don't know what the remedy for that is if the big guys not out there scoring well i think that's it's almost like a convenient excuse right it's like if they lose this series if they get swept by the heat it's like oh well the heat are great also we lost Embiid, so like no worries like that was just gonna happen and it's like how do you not show fight in this moment right i think that's where i'm at is like you're in the set like the eastern conference semifinals and you look dead yeah in game one and game two they were basically doa coming into this series because mm. i thought we were gonna lose the the first series i thought we were gonna blow it well this is also a a bigger topic just with the nba in general and i i can't take uh credit for this like kind of stat that i'm gonna give out here but over the last Four. like 15 seasons the teams with the highest usage rate players on their teams rarely make it out of the first round 
Mm. And I, I mean, I'm not going to go into the big numbers here, but what it tends to show is teams that rely on one player, once it comes to the playoffs, you can shut a player down a lot easier than a team that plays five people on the court, you know, team basketball. Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to have superstars win games here and there, but they don't necessarily win championships. That's Celtics. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you're also seeing it like, okay, the Warriors, right? They've always been built with multiple superstars, and that's been their success where Seth Curry can come, uh, Steph Curry, excuse me, can come off the bench, light it up, and everyone's like, oh, look, and the Warriors win their first the series Greatest six-man ever. But, yeah. but, well, exactly, <laughs> but it's like, it's like, okay, there's, there's the difference. It's not mm. the only person we have is Steph Curry. It's we have three or four guys who can get the job done so that when he comes off the bench, it's awesome. It's a spark, but it's not like without him, we're losing this. I mean, they won their first series four games to one. Like, I mean, this is, this is, this is how championship level teams are built. And I don't understand why the Sixers who say that's their goal, who, you know, share that with all their fans, all of those kind of things. Every single time they get a chance to build their team into a championship caliber team, they take losing players or they give up way too much and get too little. And you win the trade because you get rid of Ben Simmons finally. But if, if it results in another second round playoff exit, did you really do anything different? And I don't think what happens this year is the end of this current Sixers roster. I think it all just yeah. changes with a new voice in Doc leaving. I, I, I mean, you, Maury's already set up the team in the way that he wants it with the talent. The only thing you can change to save his face is to move on from the coach. And I, I guess that's probably what's going to happen unless there's a big turnaround here in the next four games. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I think back-to-back -back playoff exits in a similar fashion isn't going to bode well for them. But, I, but I mean, this is this is the... The drama of the NBA, as people like to say, right? Stars dominate that league. How do you put enough stars in your team while also making sure your coach isn't hampering them? And I think that's definitely what the Sixers are going to have to explore. Switching gears a little bit, but thinking about a, a team that has to figure out all of their roster. They have to fill so many different holes, and it's for a great reason. Penn State football. Eight wow. players drafted. Fourth most of any college program uh, going in this draft. The most in the Big Ten. Obviously, you get that little edge over Ohio State, who Which had six huge. players taken. <laughs> I mean, this is what James Franklin has been building for a while. What I find so interesting, I just want to start here. How does a team that has 13 players end up in the NFL draft go seven and six? Quarterback. That's a big part of it. Uh, I inconsistent mean, quarterback play for sure. Inconsistent quarterback play, injured quarterback play. Fair. I think uh, that whole season was just sort of doomed after the Iowa game, and it just kind of that that's hard to rebound from. But we knew that this team had talent from the get go. Now, out of those drafted players, seven of them were defender defensive. Yeah. Dodson uh, was the only offensive player, I think, drafted. I think six, you're right. six defended because so you, have, that, you got a punter. Yeah. Well, do you count a punter as defense? Special teams. Spe yeah. Either way, defense? not an offensive person that's right. touching the ball outside right. of who I thought should have been the Blitnikoff Award winner, Jahan Dodson, who was a baller, and it showed by being a first-round draft pick to the Commanders. Oh, so sad. Why do oh. all my Penn Staters have to go to teams <laughs> I have to see twice a year? Wait, okay, hey, the best. This is horrible. Commanders. Uh, no, <laughs> doesn't no, work no. doesn't work wow. the uh the whole um storyline with Jahan Dotson obviously is incredible like it, he was so underrated even though everyone who watched him play knew he was one of the best college receivers for sure if not the best at the beginning of the season people had him going 15 
He dropped all the way into the second round. And that was really where he was projected to the point where, like, draft analysts, and I use that in heavy air quotes, were horrified that the that Washington would take Jahan Dotson. And they got ev- a winner. Everyone Such here was like, them. that's incredible value. That's incredible. Like, he's an incredible player. He brings the juice. But my favorite storyline about the whole Jahan Dotson situation is – I, I forget, it was like during this last season, Michael Parsons had this whole thing being like, I really hope Jahan goes in the NFC East so that I can beat him up for two games. And then it happens, and like they're now mm-hmm. going back and forth. I mean, I just love that now we're not talking about like one or two Penn State players making an impact. We have the possibility to have high-level Penn State players on like half of the NFL teams. And that's that's pretty incredible for this program that if you think about it, 11 years ago might not have even had a football program. You know, I mean, we were still talking about that uh, until the mid-2000s, like past Bill O'Brien. Like, uh, are they really mm-hmm. going to survive all these sanctions? James Franklin comes in and in eight, nine years has turned this into 13 players, eight drafted, five free agents, all going into the NFL. I mean... We're talking about, like, the Carolina Panthers taking multiple Penn State guys. I mean, this is a program that everyone recognizes is preparing players for the NFL despite a 7-6 and record. So hopefully we can translate some of that into, like, what the on-field product looks like. But I think you got to be happy, right, for guys like Jaquan Brisker. you got to be happy for the Jesse Lucettas of the world sneaking in there in the seventh round because we know drafted money is better than free agent money. He was actually, I believe, a twice-drafted player into the CFL as well. Mm. Might, might want to check the Twitter sphere on that one, but I think he has nice. to choose between the Great White North and the good old NFL. What do you, you think he's going to do? You know, I, I think it's pretty clear. <laughs> he's going to the CFL. Yep. No, yep. Um, you're exactly right. Eight uh, eight hours ago, as of Nittany Lions Wire, Jesse Lucetta drafted by a CFL team. I would imagine he's Canadian. He is going to take his shot at the greatest football league in all the all the world. USFL, the Alouettes. Oh. <laughs> Wow, the, the jokes write themselves here, but still, not not a, semi, nothing against our, our neighbors from the north. Football, organized. <laughs> um, no, I but I think I, you just think about all these players. You got to be super happy for them. I think when you look at the NFL draft, um, kind of an under I don't know, it was underwhelming this year, but some pretty cool storylines coming out of it. Kenny Pickett staying in Pittsburgh is obviously a huge one. Uh, you love the pick. No, not just Pickett, love but it. Pickett Pickens. will be throwing to Pickens. Lots of picks in Pittsburgh. Well, and hopefully avoiding I hope those so. picks. That's those what we're, well, you know. Steve's got a big smile on his I'm face. I'm so happy. I forgot about that. Oh, my God. If they only yeah. would have drafted Shank the kicker. You know? I know. <laughs> oh. Yeah. We can get into that some yeah. other time, but. Oh man! It's like a running back called fumbles. I love that. It. Was like Steve's first comment on the podcast mm-hmm. was like it's like drafting a running back. Yeah, when fumbles. I was writing things to what be like, right? what's what's what clever? Say? What's clever? Were you yeah. scripting your comments when you first got on here? Um, the twenty-seven second takes. I would yeah. think about them a lot more now. It's just like You're you know, uh, this picket guy. What's <laughs> <laughs> with this picket guy over here? Oh. My favorite is like all the commentary about his hands and all of that. Like, I like love him or hate the guy, love the pick, hate the pick. I don't really care. I do hope that he just puts that to bed. Like, I hope you know he has a good season, doesn't have any like hand controversies because honestly, that's such a tired storyline. It is, and it's it's been kind of you know fodder the last couple of years, and it it's overplayed. But it is there is something cool about a guy who can. Same with James Conner, mm-hmm. who is coming out of the door down the hallway from where so he cool. played college. I mean, that 
you gotta love that story. And I know the city of Pittsburgh's gonna embrace him. And you know, I, I remember saying this when Trubisky was uh, signed that I thought the reindeer Mason Rudolph was gonna did beat that. him out. Oh, I am going on take. the record right now. It is officially a three QB fight for the starting job wow. at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Fight. I don't mark it, pick it. Fight for last Might place in the out. division. <laughs> for sure. I uh I can't see it. I, I have a feeling they'll they'll go through Bisky because obviously they're and that's the probably money. what's going to happen. Yeah, but, but I think they do that for a season, and then it's picking Pickett's team because you don't take a first round quarterback and just like eh, I'll back him up forever. But I think you brought in Trubisky probably with the understanding that you're either getting Malik Willis or Kenny Pickett. They're just picking between the two of them. God, I guess that's and, and the thing is, if they would have picked Willis and he was a bust, they would be hearing the Dan Marino talk all over again that they had the chance to draft him back in the '80s and didn't and became a hall of famer i mean i think they almost were like eh, i guess we kind of have to draft this guy in the first yeah. round but i think you also like how many nfl programs get the chance to watch their first round draft pick every single day no, you know what i mean cool. right like i think that's the incredible part is like okay you can have film you can have whatever you're bumping into this guy every day you know who he is when he's on a bad day you know his when he's injured you know how he is in all these situations and you got him for five years you've been watching him for five years on some level so it's like i think that's incredible and that might be interesting for kind of the landscape of how college programs interact with nfl programs like you thought about it with bill belichick and the patriots right he would always take guys from florida because he knew that staff so well and he trusted if they said this is the guy you want that that's the guy he would take so you know ken Pitt become a feeder program can penn state become a feeder program for the carolina panthers and matt rule because that's now a relationship that seems to be uh incredibly fruitful so i don't know i feel like college football is changing so much uh how we're recruiting players is changing a lot that's something this summer we have to dive into nil the impacts of all of that um, but I think what's really interesting about all of this is talking to the coaches who have to adapt on the fly in it. And so we had a chance to sit down with uh, one of the most colorful defensive line coaches I've ever met. A great man, got a lot of insight. Coach Chaos, co-defensive coordinator for Florida, Sean Spencer. Joined now by Sean Spencer, Coach Chaos, down there as the co-defensive coordinator at Florida. What has the transition been like for you? What what makes you so excited to join this program? Well, you know, it's one of those programs that's just, you know, has unbelievable history and tradition, right? So, I mean, when you turn on the TV and you see that orange and blue, the Florida Gators, I mean, you know, just grew up just seeing that stuff on TV and the legendary battles that they had in the SEC. And I haven't been a coach here now um, in the SEC when I was at Vanderbilt. You know, we actually played against Florida. So I, I knew what the, the, the talent base was like. I knew what the, the fan base was like. I, I knew what, what type of program it had potential to be. So I was really excited when I had the opportunity from Coach Napier to come here. What's different about SEC football? I mean, we hear about the crowds, the environment, the talent level, but um, being a part of it, how special of a conference is it? Well, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, there's some of the best football players in the world, you know, in the SEC and some of the best football players in the world in the South. Um, you know, after, after coming from the NFL, I mean, we have multiple kids from the SEC on our team. Um, you know, we had team, kids from the Big Ten on our team, too. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to just say that Big Ten because I actually coached there for six years. So I was 
excited about that when I was there, but, you know, just a talent base, a tremendous talent base that you have access to is what really excites me, right? So I don't have to go very far to get some of my core guys, you know, and I think that's important, you know, because now their families can come to the games. There's easier access to travel. It's not real far. Like some places, like, you know, they play a game here and then they play a game all the way over here. The SEC is pretty close. So that's what's exciting. And, and then the fans, you know, people just love their football down here. I mean, love football. I mean, I forgot how it was um, when I came back. I was like, wow, I mean, this is, and then see you in the airport and they're like, Florida, like, go, coach chaos, you know, screaming at the name. Like, zit, man, zit. So hopefully they continue to scream in a positive manner. So. Yeah, well, we'll be rooting for you, I'm sure. Um, what do you want to bring to this program? You've coached at so many levels. You've had success at so many levels. But um, why get back into college, and, and what do you want to bring to this team? Well, I was I was asked that question earlier today. And one of the things that, that I did miss uh, was being a mentor to young men um, and really just giving back, um, you know, to, to, to society that way I just felt like you know like I had such an impact on kids and players you know you talk I listen to Shaka Tony talk about I'm you know the only father figure you know he ever had you know that means something you know I I listen to Antonio uh, Valentino you know say you know you're my only mentor that's a met like those things mean something to you um and I miss that you know I miss that giving back you know I like I said earlier I was getting interviewed and I said that Told story about <clears throat> growing up without a dad. You know, um, it can either be your Achilles heel or it can be a backbone. I choose it to be my backbone. So I'm, I'm gifted um, with the ability to connect with young people. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm just sharing my gift, man. Um, I, I'm thinking I'm answering your question. I'm going to bring the, the, the energy that I bring every day. I don't know how to not bring it. On uh, the day I can't bring it, I should not coach anymore. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to be chaos till it's, it's time for me not to be chaos anymore. I think people expect just that from you, but I think that's pretty beautiful to take something that I'm sure was so difficult in your life and try and translate that into something positive um, for these young men. How transformative are these years, right? When you get them straight out of high school and you got to teach them very quickly how to handle the pressure, be a good upstanding individual, get your degree, do all of those things. Like, how important is it to have someone like you or other coaches to, to stick up for these guys and teach them the right way? Well, as a coach, you're in a unique position. You're in a, a position of leadership. Um, you're also in a p- position where you've got to be a teacher. And I think that it's a tremendous responsibility of us, especially our older males and older females in society, coaches, the leaders, right, to take that stand to help these, these young people um, help help shape their lives. And, I, and, and and if you're not in it for that, if you don't, if that's not what your goal is, then you're in it for the wrong thing. Because in that, in that, in that, in inevitably, it will get you when it gets you, right? So, um, you know, I, I love the fact that I cannot pronounce that word right now. Let's say inevitably, I got it. So I just redid that. So you can just pause that and try that again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're putting you through the ringer here. This is media circus, you know, I get it. Um, <laughs> I think listening to you talk my, you know, in the times I get to talk to coach James Franklin or Brent Pry, I mean, you all talk very similarly, almost less about football and more about the men and, and, and the, the human part of this game. 
do you draw on those relationships at all and the things that you guys did together and, and had so much success together? Do you, do you take anything from your time at Penn State in that way? No question. I mean, James, James and Pryor, one of my, uh, two of my top guys, right? So um, I love those guys. Um, you know, we spent a lot of years and felt a lot of calluses in the game of football, right, together. Uh, but I'm telling you right now, it's about relationships. You know, it is about relationships and it's about relationships with the staff. It's about relationships with the people that are associated with the program. It's about relationships with the parents of the players. It's about relationships with recruits. I mean, it's a relationship-based business, right? So uh, if you're not ready to form those things, you'll struggle on this deal, right? And I think that's what it's really been something that I've really felt throughout my career. I've done a, um, I've, I've, tr I've tried to do a really good job of developing relationships with people because I think it's just so important to get it right. Because in those times, when the times when that fire is hot, right, you go back on your relationship with the person, right, and and used to, and, and even when a kid when he's not feeling great about something, and you're not really seeing eye to eye, if you have a relationship with them, you can coach them harder, and they'll listen to you, and you got to listen to them too. That's part of being in a relationship. You know, sometimes I say some things to them, and you know they don't understand it, and I don't, they don't feel like, you know. They're getting what I'm saying. I got I to gotta step back and make sure I'm teaching that thing the right way to them. Because obviously, you know, if they go out there and do it, then I've taught it to them. And if they do it wrong, I didn't teach it right. Do you find sometimes as like a college coach, you also have to check your own ego, right? Like, I think there's there's the guys who do really well with players. It's usually because there is that give and take, right? Like you're right. listening, you're giving back, you're you're not just di dictating and demanding, but you, there's that feedback. Like, do you find you're successful because you're able to to really dig into your players and, and trust that if they're telling you something, maybe you should take a look at it? Yeah, no question. I mean, they, that's got to come with earned credit. So I'm not going to let some freshman come in and tell me <laughs> he's thinking about everything because they don't know anything. Smart. Yeah, you know, my my daughter's entering her freshman year in college soon. She doesn't know anything about that that type of stuff. You know, like, I mean, she, I'm not saying she, she doesn't know what she doesn't know, right? So she got to listen to somebody that's older, right? So um, I, I really feel like um, the give and take is real, is, is earned on both sides. You know, they have to trust you. You have to trust them. And it's developed over time. And I think you get a better response from them, you know? The, year, the days of just screaming and ripping and running and yelling at guys all the time, I mean, that stuff's over. I mean, you don't have to you don't have to get people to respond like that. I can get the same thing out of you by looking at you and telling you I'm extremely disappointed in the way you're practicing right now. We talked about this. I can't believe you've done that right there. And I, I'm not sure where your head is. And walk away. Then ripping and cussing at a kid. I just, I don't want nobody talking to my daughter like that. So I'm not going to talk to someone else's child like that. I think um, whenever like an adult or an authority figure says, I'm disappointed in you, it's just like, it stabs, <laughs> you, it stabs you, right? Like that gets me more than I think anything else. And I think that's important to realize it. And the game is changing so much and so fast and the transfer portal and, and kids can, you know, they're more in control of, of their destiny than they ever have been. And um, I think college sports in general, not just football, they're all going through this revolution of how do we support kids in the best way possible? Right. Do, you, do you feel like the game is heading in a good direction? What do you look at the, the sport as a whole? Here's what I believe in. I believe still there has to be a standard, right? And then there's some things that just cannot be compromised. And I think we can't just compromise saying this is Generation Z and this is what, what it has to be. There has to be a standard of, and then there can't be compromised to certain things. 
Now, is there adaptation? Absolutely, right? Do people adapt to things? And do we need to adapt as coaches? You know, uh, Matt Wu talked about this, talked about uh, this to our staff the other day, talked about, you know, the technology. This is how they respond. Like, I, I don't, my daughter didn't answer the phone. All she does is text, right? So that drove me crazy, but I have to adapt to her. I message her on Instagram and I, and I text her. That's how she responds. And now when I really want to talk to her, I'm, this is where the compromise doesn't come in. We have to have a conversation. But if we're going to get better communication because this is where she does it, then I have to adapt that way. But the, the compromise of standard is when I need to talk to her about something specific, like you can't drive the car tonight because it's raining, then there won't be a text message. There will be a, a conversation. That's kind of what I'm talking about. Yeah, that give and take. It's 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 everywhere. And I think uh, it's having a daughter the same age as some of your players probably helps with that awareness and um, kind of understanding the age that these guys are at and just being around it for so long. But um, so, so, sometime I really do. I really don't yeah. like my daughter being the same age as my players. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's true too. Yeah. It's a double yeah, edge. They story. already know. They already know that it's, that's off limits. So. <laughs> she is not a part of your, your worldview no. no. outside. No. <laughs> um, coach, if, if they remember you one way down there in Florida after your tenure there, which I hope is long and successful, but what do you want them to take away from you? That was the same guy every day. I was the same guy every day. And I'll, if I walk into the room, I'm going to make your day a little bit better. That's why I want to remember me as. And that everything I give is from inside all the way out. That's how I do it. Well, you made my day better, so I appreciate it. Thanks <laughs> for the time. All right. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Coach Chaos. He is, oh, he's hysterical. I love that that Penn State connection still rings true. Like, that's how I know him, right, is as a Penn State coach. And when I say, like, you want to talk Penn State, he's like, I love my program. But, yeah, we can talk a little Nittany Lions. I mean. That's cool that he still cares about where he came from. Well, and you, you think know. about, like, what kind of coaches mold you. And if you look at his career, it's a couple years here or there, right? Like, he bounced around a lot. And it wasn't getting fired. It was just different opportunities, um, you know, I know this coach, let me go over there. I mean, his, his, we were looking at this up before the show. I mean, his tree goes back to Eric Mangini, you know, so it's all, it's all who, you know, how you get around, but he spent so much time with Penn state, probably the biggest chunk of time he's ever spent somewhere. And it was because of the relationships with Brent Pry, because of the relationships with coach Franklin. And if you know anything about James Franklin, you know, once you're in his little family, you never get to leave. And people love that because he'll take care of you. I mean, he is still, I've talked to him about this. He is still helping Brent Pry craft his program, make Virginia Tech what he wants it to be, you know, so that prize successful. Probably not the same for Sioka, but, you know. Well, (laughs) technically, you know, there's some rivalries there just in Power 5 football, but he still cares about those guys. I think that's pretty special. Um, And I think relationships are what this is all about. You see that in the draft. You see that in college football. um, And and Shiner, your Eagles, they're yeah, clearly, clearly paying attention to relationships. I, I have yet to see any draft grade, which draft grades are whatever, mm-hmm. but I every single person is, has rated the Eagles draft as, as an A or, or better. How and does that feel? hit the ding. Well, <laughs> for, first of all, it, it, it feels weird because, it, like there. I said, well, no, it's not even that you haven't been there, but how he's taken a beating these last couple of years, especially with some of his wide receiver picks and such. Um, deservedly so deservedly so yeah but he he really did land and not to cross metaphors but a slam dunk here in the draft because 
One, you get Nicobe Dean, who I think most people thought was the best player on that Georgia team, falling to the third round. Whether there was injury concerns or not, we're not really sure. He says he's ready to play. But he gets to play with his teammate in Jordan Davis, who, I mean, those two as a tandem together were a wrecking crew on the NCAA. I mean, you had the big man blowing up holes and Dean running right through it. And I know some people were a little upset with the Davis pick because they were like, oh, that's not a day one starter, blah, blah, blah. But you don't get 6'6", 350, 4, 740 ever. And mm-hmm. that you have to take a flyer on that. And the fact that you could steal Dean and pick up A.J. Brown with a draft pick. <laughs> it's crazy. And, you know, the, the center that they they selected, Cam, uh, I mean, that was hand-picked by your current Hall of Fame-to-be center in Jason Kelsey. So, I mean, I just I don't think you could really screw that up, and those top three guys are going to make an impact on this organization for years to come, I think, let alone a couple of people they picked up on the back end that might might help to contribute here in, in the different schemes that we're running. Well, I definitely think this is what's interesting about the draft, right, is, like, do you take – a chance on a new player, a cheaper player, or do you just go out and get the guy you know can help you on day one? And I think the Eagles did a little bit of both. I think that's pretty rare for them to like fully focus on both sides of the coin and where they had way too many draft picks. Like imagine if they actually used all of those. You would have more than probably two-thirds of those guys wouldn't have panned out. So go spend a couple of them, get a guy that you know is going to be a day-one starter, can help Jalen Hurts. And really, this is kind of Hurts' last chance. Like, in, in my mind, like, he has to put up a great season or they're going to be saying, all right, who's next? Because uh, the, the, the shelf life for quarterbacks is very short. Well, and the other thing, too, just just as I said, it's a, a great thing for – Davis and Dean to continue to play together. I mean, I I didn't even know this until a couple days ago, but Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown are like best buds. They're at their daughter's birthday party the week before. There's that Twitter video of them just thrown in the backyard and whether or not, you know, Jalen really did help to recruit him there. Howie says we were looking at him all the time. It just so happened to be a coincidence. But, I mean, there's something to be said with, like, playing with your boys, you know, and and that, that could change a locker room environment overnight with those two together now. And um, just to kind of diverge from that, but also piggyback a little bit on what you were saying about, you know, Jalen Hurts, if if he, for some reason, isn't the guy, they actually got a, a sneaky good um, free agent signing, Carson Strong out of mm. uh, Nevada. Yeah. So he he was a kind of a statue, but mm-hmm. he's got an arm. He's and, not and a bad also, quarterback. I believe they so. gave him like two different players, like the highest – signing bonus you can give to an undrafted free agent 300 you know and one was a cornerback which is obviously <laughs> something of need yeah. because everybody was waiting for that to be addressed in the draft and it wasn't yeah i mean obviously there's still some free agents out there but to know that you have a guy that's a, a blue chipper out of clemson that you want to pay that money to and hey you know what if uh this Minshew guy doesn't want to hang around and we can steal a pick or a player for him yeah maybe you have someone as a backup that you can you know qb factory and all yeah, I think it's it's just it's building for the future, not just for right now. And I think that's what the NFL is really uh, kind of on that precipice of: are we super teams, uh, one year, two year deals, trying to win now, or are we building for three, four, five, six years down the road? And I think some teams are doing. You know, obviously the Rams go out, they they sign a bunch, like everyone to a one year contract, they win a Super Bowl, and everyone's like, ooh. 
let's try that method. But I think the the overall proven method is don't kill your your potential five years from now just to win right one second. Well, the Chiefs were pretty much homegrown, and the Bills are well, now. I don't know what, but Diggs for a while, was there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, they drafted Josh Allen and and a lot of their other guys. So yeah, I. I you can You're do right. it both ways. Yeah, you can definitely. do it both ways. I think for for Philly, I think they need to do it from a developmental standpoint because I, I just don't see them hitting on all cylinders. I mean, AJ Brown's probably the biggest. Would you say it's like the biggest trade they've had, other than shipping out to since To I'd say which was two thousand and three. Yeah. Four? So we're talking yeah. about uh, almost twenty years since their last like eye-popping trade or or big huge free agent signing and so it's like i feel like that's that's what you have to focus on is this this eagles team likes to build through the draft likes to build through developing guys into stars you just have to start drafting the right guys the the big thing too is you still have a quarterback on a relatively price friendly deal look at what's going on in green bay yeah you have aaron Rodgers, but who the heck do you have other than him even with patrick mahomes pat finally gets paid Guess what? Your boy, the cheetahs, throwing up peace signs on the way out the door to Deuces. Miami. You know, so you can only hold on to those those big talents that are homegrown so long until you have to pay your quarterback, or those big talents want to get paid themselves, and now you have to decide: Are we keeping them, or are we going a different direction? Well, no one knows what the salary cap's going to be in five years. That's like the biggest thing is like no one really knows, so they just keep deferring things or pushing them off or whatever. But I think, uh, and you knew I had to bring it up, but Tom Brady took pay cuts oh, to yeah. make sure that they could go out and get other guys. And I think that's what a lot of, I think, players who want championships need to start considering is if rings are important to you, you can't make $50 million a year. You can't make $25 million a year as one receiver. Like, if you want to win championships, you have to have other people around you. If you want the money, which I get it. I mean, I don't well, know how I would say no no to $25 million, but you can't necessarily be the highest paid and expect for them to be able to get a supporting cast that can go out and win you a championship. And, and Tom's one of the few, I think, that was willing to do that because he had TB12 and a little person and, named Giselle yeah. in his back <laughs> corner. It, I think Aaron Rodgers is like, pay me the money. Oh, crap. Now who do I throw to? Let me make some random free agent wide receiver a star similar to what Tom Brady did outside of Randy Moss. It was always yeah. some rando catching the ball and looking great, you know? So it, it, it is weird with just how GMs have to stack their teams now that you can only give so much money to certain positions and then all of a sudden you're priced out of the market. Well, and I do think you're looking at a lot of teams who now are like, uh, let me just take the cheaper free, like the, the cheaper draft option and, and load off the big player and hope that he develops into – 75% of what that star is going to be. But I think you're, you're almost seeing like money ball, but in football, right? Like, can Similar. I get enough yeah. production, but for a third of the cost, you know? And um, I, I think that's the beauty of the, the business of sports is so fascinating. Obviously, if we could just take the best players on every team, put them together, that team's winning the Super Bowl, but it's just not possible. That's what baseball is. Which, uh, mm-hmm. this is a little bit of a tangent, but since you guys brought up the guy who I used to talk about all the time before I got <laughs> my other guy who I love, um, Aaron Rodgers, watch out. I'm calling uh, he's not he's not going to be there for the whole contract in Green Bay. He's going to do that very, very similar thing in about a year because 
I don't know. They, I, I feel like wh- who was the receiver they got? Uh, the guy from North Dakota State. Yeah. Christian mm-hmm. Watson. Mm-hmm. He's fast, and you're right. He'll probably turn him into a star, but I bet you we're going to go through a very, very similar thing that we did well, this past offseason. And, and Devontae Adams kind of came out of nowhere, too. I mean, I know he was a talent yeah. coming out of college, yeah, he, but, yeah. I mean, well, he was Fresno State, right? He's a second-round pick, I Yeah, think. you know, yeah. so, I mean, that's kind of weird that now he's getting to go play with his, his quarterback for a year, you know, and Derek Carr, um, but that was also someone that like they I don't think they were expecting to be a superstar yeah, that weren't. became one yeah. and it's going to be interesting to see just like the Tom Brady effect how many of these guys are good because of the quarterback I mean Jordy Nelson I, I'm not going to say he like fell off the face of the earth but he kind of did when he did. went to the Raiders and was that because Aaron Rodgers was throwing him the ball or did his talent just fall off I think the best part about all of this is um no one knows. None of the scouts know, it's right? The best like part. you're I drafting know. on potential, and I, 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 on some level, I love it. Like, like it'll be like the fourth round. They'll be like that guy. That's that's a great value pick. And the next guy will be like, that's ah, a bomb. You know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, do you really know anything? Because uh, I mean, I get it. We're all looking at the same thing. We're all looking at the same film. Everyone feels like they have an idea of of who these players are going to be. But at the end of the day, we got to wait like five, six years before we find out because half way more than half these guys won't even be in the league by five years coin flip at best and so i i think it's like you know you could have your uh, look at the track record of first round quarterbacks that's all you have to look at and realize that 90 percent of those guys aren't still playing football so uh i love the draft for that reason my favorite part of the nfl season is that the draft kicks it all off and now it's otas rookie mini camps a bunch of stuff we can sink our teeth into and some actual football drills um so we can football drills big air quotes yeah and then before before we know it it'll be training camp and that's when things really start to heat up i feel like as much as we all want to enjoy our summer at a certain point here it just flies by that's when the acls get to popping oh my gosh hopefully not directly in front of our uh viewing non-contact yeah i would like to know not be at the practice where Rashad bateman goes (laughs) down with a groin injury that would be awesome um not our best moment i'm not gonna lie to you but uh, I, I think this is a really exciting time. The NFL draft, so much stuff to talk about. So happy for all of those Penn State guys um, who get to call the NFL their home for hopefully a long time. Hopefully they're all in it for eight, nine, ten years, and, and they're healthy and happy. Um, but regardless, what they're building for that program is incredible. Before we get out of here, one more kind of shout-out. I wore the T-shirt today. The Hershey Bears start their best-of-three series against the Wilkes-Barre Scranton. B-E-A-R-S, Bears, Bears, Bears. It's a season ticket holder over there. Uh, they start their best-of-three first-round AHL playoff series against the Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins on the road this weekend. Uh, they start on Friday, then they'll be back in the Giant Center on Sunday. This is a team that has got... They've got to score the puck because when they score one goal, um, they haven't won a game this year. So uh, this is a team that is focusing on that. They had two weeks off from the end of the regular season to the start of the playoffs. Hopefully they're healthy. Hopefully they figured out how to put someone right in front of the crease and just deflect pucks into the net. Uh, We talked a lot about that. So if you want any Hershey Bears coverage, that's over on our website. I will be at that game one. I'm excited to see. I've never been to Wilkes-Barre Scranton's arena mm. i've heard some interesting things i've heard there are a lot of nice people but it's a small is it called the igloo place. too like uh the, the big leagues you're testing my uh, knowledge i i don't know should i look it up no um we don't care <laughs> we only care about the giant center 
but no, so we'll be there. Hopefully the Hershey Bears can, can roll this thing into a second round appearance because I think under first year head coach Scott Allen, who's been a guest on this podcast before, we're hoping some big things uh, as they go for a Calder Cup for the first time since 2019. They haven't had playoffs in three years. Steve, Steve was in college when they had playoffs. Shout out, Scott. You were in college when they had playoffs. Yeah, it was. Wow. It was. Hey, by the way, I uh, I graduated college uh, two years ago, but we had the commencement I last weekend that. because of the you know COVID. So. How was it? Uh, you know, it, it was cool. I like it was nice being back up at State College. Wait, did, did a lot of your friends go? No. Oh, so you're still alone. Yeah, I was sitting with parents. a bunch of random people, <laughs> and I saw some. You know, I saw some people. Who I was like. Uh, oh, I can't. Yeah, I mean, to you're you. still one of 40,000. So right, <laughs> it's right. not like you're just going to sit down and be like, oh, hey, we had physics together. Shout <laughs> yeah. out shout out to Steve for finally graduating college. Though. I did it, guys. We're proud of you. I saw the pictures your dad you're posted. You're a real man. A lot of hard work. A lot of... A lot of uh, blood, sweat, tears, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Red yeah. Bull. I was going to say cheating. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no. Oh, okay. No, I'm joking. Uh, Moving no. on. Congratulations <laughs> to you. Congratulations to all the other Nittany Lions entering the workforce. Proud of all of you. Yeah. Uh, that has been the Sports Extra podcast. Next week, we'll come back. Hopefully, we're still talking about the Hershey Bears playing hockey, still talking about the Sixers playing basketball, and, and moving more towards uh, the baseball portion of our summer because i know everyone here is super excited about that for producer shiner producer steve i'm ali baruby we'll see you next week